Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and I'm in transit at Brisbane Airport. So if you hear some PA and some noise, that's why I'm hiding out behind a news agency recording this. Um, I'm sad um, because even though in one of my favourite songs ever, Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips told me that everyone we know someday will die, it's still very, very tough when they do. Um, Over the weekend, my friend, a disability advocate, author, playwright, director, producer, actor, a multiple podcast guest, Quentin Kennehan, sadly passed away. He was 43. He was also a man that had been told he's not going to live to see his next birthday since he was a little kid, probably single figures. Anyone that knew him will know what a titan he was. And I'm so very sad that he's gone. He and I met in 2003. Uh, We were still recording Australian Idol. An episode hadn't even aired yet. That's when we met. And uh, he kind of gave me a heads up and helped me understand what life in the public eye at that level looked like and what it worked like. And um, we developed a friendship and over the years we stayed quite close. And we got to be there for each other. Uh, through the up times and we got to be there for each other through the the dark times and uh, if you read my book or if you read his book you're and indeed what you're about to hear you'll know that there were definitely those times for both of us and um over the years there was many late night phone calls a lot of skype a lot of facetime uh across the planet when I lived overseas, I'm really grateful that he and I were there for each other as we both navigated this journey. He'd been on this journey a lot longer than I had, but the the presence that he had in every breath that he took uh, was always evident, uh, even when he had to start using an oxygen generator to take those breaths. And You'll hear that in this interview. You can hear it buzzing away and you can hear it kicking in when he inhales. I had never met and I still haven't met anyone to truly live every day with the joy and deliberate purpose as Quentin did. But I guess when you, since you've been a kid, when you've been told you're not going to live another year, every year, I guess life becomes pretty immediate pretty quickly. Quentin had a fierce independence, lived independently, lived alone, and did for years, decades, the whole time I knew him. He had a tenacious drive and had an incredible amount of creativity and that, those three things will stay with me. Quentin touched many, many people and I'm very grateful that I had a front row seat to his world. I'll never know what it's like to be him, but I'm grateful that he trusted me enough to allow me in enough to um, see what his life was like at that level. I'm also really grateful that he had a chance to meet Audrey and that, indeed, the two of them got to know each other and that she got to know him as I did. Um, it's very tough when you lose someone uh, close to you, particularly someone you know, you know, very close to you in age. I was only a year older than him. Because you, know, you think about 
uh, what was the last thing you said to them and um, uh, this is one of those moments when the last thing I said to Quentin was like hey man I'm coming to Adelaide to do a speaking gig um, can you make it and he said mate you've got to give me more notice I've got to get a carer and then I'll try as hard as I can and he couldn't get a carer in time and he wasn't able to make the gig and um that was the last time we spoke. So if you do anything after listening to this, make sure <laughs> that the words you leave people with are the words you'd like to leave people with, I guess. This interview was done in a hotel room. Uh, it was around the time Quentin was making Mad Max. Um, we cover some pretty, pretty graphic territory here. So I hope you'll enjoy hearing this conversation with a man that you might have had an idea about and I hope it helps you get to know the man that was Quentin Kennehan a little better. I'll miss you, Q. Hang on, let me just have a swig of mine. Kale, banana, apples. What is the deal with kale? It's just full of everything awesome. Right, does it taste like shit? Mm-hmm. Oh, so fruity. So many bananas in this one. Great. Mm. You must be the most regular son of a bitch ever. Don't want to travel. You know what it's like when you travel and your clock goes off. Yep. It's the worst. Anyway. Right. Hello, oh, you're recording. I'm recording. Hello, Quentin. G'day, G. How are you, mate? I'm all right. I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm so happy. You look badass. I look different, don't I? You have. Do you yeah. want to describe it for the folks at home? Well, you're in Sydney, you're here to shoot a movie, a big fancy movie, yep. big fancy budget. Yep. And um, sparing no expense, they've hired you, great Australian actor, Quentin Kennehan. I wouldn't know about great Australian <laughs> actor, more like very, can I swear on the show? You can say anything you want. Great. I just feel as though I'm one very lucky bastard. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, you are here and you've got your head completely shaven. Yeah, I am... Um, with a biker beard. With a biker beard. Um, I have a brother and my, my character has a brother. And um, I have to look like my brother and, and he's head shaved. You look great. It feels look- really weird, man. And I know, I just discovered I've got three scars, three giant scars on the back of my head and I have no idea where they came from. <laughs> I rang up my mum this morning I'm like, where the hell did I get these scars? She goes, I don't know. Could have done something, you know, in the 38 years. <laughs> um, I'm so grateful that you and I can talk today. I was trying to remember last night, the first time we met, I think we met, I want to say, just a little over 10 years ago. Yep. Was it at the University of New South Wales during those Idol editions? Was that the first time we met? Yeah. No. No? No, we met first off at the Adelaide audition. Right. We met first off at the Adelaide audition, mm-hmm. but I'd known of you through your brief stint at SAFM. And you had worked with my cousin. Your cousin, yes. My cousin, Rimuta. Yes, I had worked with your cousin, Rimuta. I'd hired her as a production manager. Yeah. And she did a very great job. Yeah, she's awesome. She is. Yeah, yeah. And now, uh, and through there, I remember that... I don't remember that day, by the way, in Adelaide. 
I vaguely remember meeting Oh, God, you. I do. I, was I nice to you? Yeah, yeah, oh. you were great. But it was all very TV-ish, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and everyone thought, I mean, I guess the cat's out of the bag now, everyone thought that I was, you know, crashing for real. And it was never for real, it was all make-believe. That you were auditioning? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's starting to come back to me now. It's a bit blurry. It was 10 years ago last week. Yeah. The Idol final. Yeah. The Opera House. And it was Wild crazy because I'd, I initially, because when they, Channel 10, asked me to go do Big, no, they asked me to do two shows. They asked me to do Big Brother and Australian Idol. And I'd just done Quentin Crash's Hollywood. So I thought doing two cross-promotional shows was a bit of a joke. I mean, I'd heard of Big Brother, but no one had heard of Australian Idol. And, and they didn't want to do it, but then, you know, they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. I think, I thought you did great. Yeah, they, they said to me, look, you do this one and we'll send you to the World Music Awards. And I just went, all right. Sure. <laughs> Sign me up. And I actually, because I actually had been trained as a singer, you know, as a kid, you know, my mum wanted me to do all sorts of things. And so I had to actually, Go get sing training to be shit again. Oh, you had to unlearn. I had to unlearn what I'd learned just so as I would fail right. every audition. Right. Um, and you're here in Sydney. You're here to shoot a big movie. Yes. Which uh, we can't. No, you, you can name it. I don't know. What do you? Because I know sometimes movies have cool pretend names. Oh, uh, it's Mad Max Fury Road. Ooh. Oh. And I, I don't know how many. Who's Max? Max is Tom Hardy this time. Get the fuck out of here. Tom Hardy is Mad Max. He is the greatest. He's pretty cool. I haven't met him yet. I think I'm meeting him on Wednesday, but yeah. He is the greatest. Have you met him? I have. Yeah, I heard he's pretty top-notch. I am just in awe of the human being that he is, the challenges he's faced and what he brings to the screen. He's just a remarkable human being. And what he devotes to a role. I mean, just look at look at the fighter. Oh, the fighter was... And then look at Batman. You're just like, that's the same guy? I want to walk up to him and I'll just go, just judge me on the voice. You know, if I can do the voice, you know, I can't kill you now. <laughs> you know, um, uh, what does he say? Um... What a beautiful voice you have. <laughs> That's my Bane voice. That's pretty good. The powers of misdirection. I was born in the dark. That's really good. <laughs> um, so today I, I want to talk about your... Um... Oh, hang on. I've been, I, you are, you're awesome on, on Instagram and Twitter. You're at Q Kenahan, K-E-N-I-H-A-N, yep. K-E-N-H-A-I-N. No, K-E-N-I-H-A-N. I can't spell your last name. It's all right. I can't spell yours That's either. That's okay. Q Kenahan. You can follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. You watch the adventures of this man, this great Australian as he rolls around the world. Um, elephants. I've never seen an elephant. You saw elephants the other day. I saw elephants the other day. For some reason, I'd gone through my life and never seen an elephant in real life. And I just thought, you know what? This year is the year for ticking things off the bucket list. And so as soon as I had a day off, I just straight to the zoo. Taronga Park Zoo yeah, in Sydney? Park zoo. I sat there watching them for hours. 
watching them play with their poop and eating and drinking. I was in awe of all of it. It was great. It's pretty intense being close to a mammal that big, isn't it? Well, I just, you know, I, I, I find it completely abhorrent that people would poach these and mm. kill these animals. I just think, why would you kill such a majestic creature? Yeah. Oh, you know, man likes to think he's bigger than other things. Kill stuff. Put your foot on it and take a photo. Well, that's the thing, you know, I know that you're, you're, you're a proud vegan. Uh, oh, I, I like to use the word vegan less and less. I just, I just eat plants. Okay, you eat plants. Yeah. I, I'm of the idea that... So do elephants, by the way. Yes, they do. I'm of the idea that I won't, I won't eat anything that I'm not willing to kill myself. If I'm not willing to kill it or I haven't killed it before, then I'm not going to eat it. Fair enough. So Zuckerberg's like that. Mark Zuckerberg did a thing where he was only eating stuff that he'd slaughtered. Well, yeah, but I mean, not that I'm, not that I would slaughter a cow, but if if push came to shove, yeah, you know, I'll, I'd put a bolt in the cow. Um, I, I would like to talk today about your TV career. I'd yep. like to talk about your producing career, your film career, your acting career. But we'd probably better lay a bit of pipe first. Put lay a bit, a bit of, of pipe. Lay a bit of pipe. Put a bit of exposition down. You, you do the exposition. Let, let a few people know what we're talking about here. Sure. Quentin Kennehan right here um, was born with osteogenesis imperfecta. Well done. I'm here to help. Wow. You've, you've done your research. Uh, yeah. Of course I have. Wow. Which is such a change. Which is, oh, come on, I've always done my research. I've always <laughs> done my homework. To my own, to, to, to actually some to my, to my own peril. Uh, which is a disease called, it's basically called brittle bone disease. Yes, it is. So, when did you stop, just, just to give people an idea, when did you stop counting broken bones? About what number? I haven't. You haven't? No, I haven't stopped. No. All right. What are you, what are you at now? As of today, I'm at 662. 662 broken bones. There better be some fireworks at 666, man. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I got four more. They should be, shouldn't they? <laughs> 662 broken bones. Um, so yeah, I broke my ankle last week. Oh god. Yeah. I ran into the couch. We'll talk. We'll talk about all of that. Uh, that's right. You told me on Skype the other day. Uh, but when when Quentin was very very young, he was featured on a documentary, and then afterwards a series of documentaries by a reporter called Mike Willisey, and it was the highest-rating thing anyone had ever seen. This is back in the day before the internet, before Twitter, before Facebook, before Instagram. There was four channels, some cities two. Highest-rating Australian-made documentary in Australian television history. Thank you very much. And everyone knew your name. Everyone knew your face. Everyone knew what you were going through when you were a little little boy. Yeah. A a child. Yeah. And, And now you're 38. Yep. Which is awesome. I know. I know. Every time we meet, you're like, yeah, they told me I wouldn't make 18. Then I made 25. No, they told me I wouldn't make 30. Now you're 38. And it's, it's and you live independently. Yeah. Uh, Quentin lives alone. He lives uh, with his dog, Patchy. Patchy. Uh, lives in Adelaide. And uh, he lives independently, which is, you know, it's pretty, I've always admired you for that. I've always admired how independent you are and how fiercely just you're like, yes, life, go. Hasn't always been that way, I as know that. you know. As, as for me too, and you and I have talked about that over the years. Yeah. Um, but as a general rule, you tend not to let anything stand in your way. Try not to, yeah. Yeah, which I, I love about you. And so I'd like to talk about a, a bit about that. So sure. firstly, and there'll be a converse to this, this answer. Yep. So firstly, what 
What's the best thing about being one of the most famous Australians ever for a few decades? Not having to line up in places. It was so cool. I used to party at the establishment nightclub whenever I came in to Sydney. And I just walked past the place um, two nights ago. And the guy grabbed me and he goes... The doorman. The doorman. And he goes, you're Quentin, aren't you? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when I was a doorman here... Ten years ago, you used to party hard with us. And I was like, yeah, you, I did. He goes, now I'm the head of security. I'm like, cool. And he goes, mate, you never lined up then, you'll never line up here again. I'm like, awesome, that's pretty pimp. That's pretty good. That is pretty awesome. Like, I've never, I've really, I, I, uh, my friends always say the queue doesn't queue. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Straight to the head of the line. And so, what's the worst bit? Uh, I got beaten up because uh, um, a person with an intellectual disability thought that I was sending her um, messages oh, through the TV. I've had that. So I got I got the crap kicked out of me once. That's really scary. Yeah, I remember talking about that with you. Yeah, that was uh, that's really that's really frightening. That. Yeah, I had three broken ribs and a dislocated shoulder. Oh god. Yeah. Not one of the best days. No. No. I've had I've had people do that. They send me you know, emails going, I know it was you on the train this morning in the old man mask. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Because I'm sending their messages through the telly. It's, it's full on, man. Mental health is really... Yeah. It's really tough. And I remember talking to you after that accident, after that incident. Um, I didn't go out of the house for six months. And fair enough, too. You know. It was scary. If that had happened to me, I'd be terrified to leave the house. Full on. Lots of therapy later. How great's therapy? Therapy's awesome, oh. man. I, I highly recommend it. I'm sitting here. Every player needs a coach, man. Exactly. Every player needs a coach. I'm sitting here today as a result of thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. <laughs> That's a therapy. Knuckle up, baby. <laughs> but what's... But, but honestly, what are you getting for your money? You're getting your life. You're getting... I'm getting my life back. When I... You know... That's how I look at it. I kind of saw it as as just someone to absolutely emotionally vent to, you know? And I just thought, because I guess you know this, as as someone that, that is well-known, you've got to be guarded with what you say to certain people and at certain times, and it's just good to be able to just let rip. I like what I like about it is when I let rip, and then he or she goes because I'll, um, I'll see anyone. He or she says, "What if you looked at it in this way?" And I go, "Oh!" And they help me reframe it, and suddenly a whole new way of thinking about things is available to me, and I get to no longer be trapped in that perception of what it was going on. Yeah, that's really cool. The one that I don't like is where they go, "Maybe you should write it down." And express your feelings that way. And I go, why the fuck would I write it down? I've just told you. <laughs> Jesus, woman, why do I pay you $160 an hour? I don't want to sit there and write a diatribe about how I feel. I write. No, nah, man. I have to. Sometimes in the mornings, if my head's just going, I'll, I'll just fill pages and pages. I just have to get it out. Really? And yeah, but the, th- the thing is, when I write it out, 
when I write all the fears out, I can see just how irrational it is. That's very Fincher from but, Seven, man. But it's really real. It's it's a it's a cognitive behavioral therapy technique. It's also used in a book called The Artist's Way, which I would recommend to you highly. I still think it's a bit too Fincher for me, brother. It works, man. Yeah. It works for me. Yeah. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you what, what, what works for me. Um, through the course of your job, yeah. As being a TV producer, a TV host, uh, a celebrity, a, a media personality, you've met many famous people. Just don't while we're still on fame for a second. Yeah. What are your thoughts about fame? Um, I when I wanted to get when it started in the business, I thought I want to be famous. I want to be you know well known. I want to do this and I want to do that. And of course, I had this whole, I guess, eye in the sky of what fame was. Now it, I just think of it as a myth. It really doesn't mean anything because so it's just a myth for me. It's just I kind of think of it as I have a great job now. I have an awesome job that has a lot of perks and something I'll never take for granted. But it, in the end, it's just a job. What about what about other famous folks that you've? I mean, you're you're in touch with people who have you know very high degrees of of celebrity and notoriety. Yeah. What are your thoughts on fame regarding, as you've observed amongst the people you know? Some can take it too seriously, whereas some just think of it as a job. And that's the people that, like you, you just think of it as a job. Well, I didn't always. I took it way too seriously. Yeah, you did. Way too seriously. Yeah, you did, you know. But I think you and I were at a stage where we both took it too seriously back then. And now we just see it for what it is. I'm just grateful to work every day, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, I got up my alarm, went off at 3.45 this morning from breakfast radio. Yeah. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> got yeah. on my bicycle, I rode into Nova. Yes. That's I, awesome, I, I man. I get to do this. I'm so lucky. But I, back in the day, I was, I let it, I honestly, I let it, I let it kind of get to me a bit. Well, I didn't, in, I, the thing was that I never enjoyed it. I never enjoyed it and I should have because I was always thinking about what was the next thing I had to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I never actually stopped and just went, you know what? Fuck, this is awesome. Uh, you know, I never stopped to smell the roses or realise how lucky I am, you know? Yeah. I remember thinking back, I sent a Twitter note to Kristana Loken, who was the chick from Terminator 3. Oh, yeah? You know, and I ended up snogging her one night at, at a party. But I was so, like, at such a an attitude of self-righteousness that I never actually took it, you know, seriously and just went, hang on, you're you're on a balcony in the middle of Monaco and you're snogging the Terminator 3 chick. Are you fucking serious? Whereas back then I was just like, yes, and this is how it should be. You know, I'm here by right. You know. You know, I just, somebody had to pull the big stick out of my ass. Yeah. I had to have that too. I won't lie. Tell me yours. Oh. Look, it was all, it was all a bunch of things. It was a whole bunch of things. I, I kind of, str- I always struggled with, um, what was, um, I don't know how do I put this. I was very afraid of it. <clears throat> I was very afraid of it. I was very afraid of people's reactions to me. And I took, as a defense of that fear, I became quite, yeah, like, this is how it is. Yeah, yeah. For a few years, probably, probably a, 
right up until I got married. Up until I got married. And it was, and but, you know, then it all kind of came crumbling apart and, you know. Well, I uh, ended up at the start of this year, man. I was like, all right, here I am. I mean, I mean, but it got to the point, man, where I was able to find a, a spiritual, um, and I don't mean by any way white man with a beard in the clouds. Spiritual. <laughs> I mean spiritual as in tune with the path, if you know what I mean. I, I'm, I managed to find a spiritual, because um, I, I was a spiritual man before I got into radio, and then I kind of got distracted by not sleeping and all the things that come with radio, sex and drugs and rock and roll. And um, when I found that path again, I was just so grateful that, oh, thank goodness I'm back. It was like I was at the edge of a pool that I've been treading water in for too long. And now I get to, I get to get up every day and just be grateful every day that it's there and just understand full well that tomorrow it could be gone because I, it did. Yeah, it, it was gone. gone. It was gone. Yeah. yeah, I was. Um, I kept. I I I realized how stupid I was being about two years ago when I was when I realized I'd pissed so much money up against the wall. You know, I drank so much and bought gifts for people and partied and it was all just my fear of not wanting to be alone. You know? And then I realised I was flat broke in the same rent-controlled subsidised apartment back on Social Security thinking, how the fuck did I get back here? And it was only through my own arrogance and stupidity that I ended up that way. How did you find a path out of that? Um, I spent a couple of years being very depressed. And I got really sick and I had pneumonia. And um, a mentor and friend of mine rang me up when I was in hospital. And instead of going, you know, how are you? I'm so sorry, sick. He was like, look where the fuck you are. Get your shit together. Get your ass back in the gear. And just do what you were born to do. And just enjoy it for fuck's sake. You know. You got one, probably one or two more chances to get this right, mate. Don't fuck it up anymore. And he was right. You're right. And... It's the biggest change of cognitive theory that I've ever had. And I just enjoy every day now. That's, that's, um, thanks for sharing that, man. That's, yeah. Because only he could have gone, instead of being sympathetic, he just kicked my ass. I got tubes coming out of me left, right, and center, and he's just going, You are the biggest fuck up in the world right now. Just get real. But sometimes you need someone who knows you well enough yeah. to say, pull your finger out, Ginsburg. Yeah. Why, are you, why are you there? You're there because you put you there. Yeah, exactly. And who's going to move you out of there? You. No exactly. one else. Exactly. And so I've just spent the last, I don't know, 10 months trying to regain everything that I'd lost. And, you know, now look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in a Mad Max movie. I'm talking to you. I must be doing something right now. You don't get paid for this. <laughs> I don't know, but I do this because I love you. I'm really grateful you're here, man. I'm really grateful you're sharing what you're sharing with me. And I'm 
you know, that's that's a, that's a big thing to share with people. A lot of people don't wouldn't, you know, think that that kind of a turnaround is available to them. It's always available if you just look at it. Yeah. And how quickly after that did you go? Did did it affect your health once you changed your your mindset? Or did you have to kind of? No, no. It's 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 a constant thing. Yeah. Because you know the 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 dark the dark door of depression can always. Oh my open. dog! I keep my dogs at the door, man, but they're always barking. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. always barking. So um. So yeah, I uh, I I um. You know, I have good days, I have bad days. But it's good that the, the, the bad days are less and less these days. I'm glad to hear that. The same with me. I turned a corner not long ago. I'm glad because it was starting to just get relentless. Man. We're so kumbaya at the moment, aren't we? <laughs> That's okay. We talk, But here's the thing. You, I, I talk about anxiety. I talk about depression on the show. And the amount of people that got right, right to me going, you have no idea. That's... This is happening to me. Like, this is something that should be talked about. It's just a, it's 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 a it's a switch that's flicked in your brain. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. See, I'm not afraid to tell people. Yes, I take a shitload of painkillers. Yes, I take antidepressants. You know, but I don't. If that's what I need to get through the day and stay positive, then so be it. I'm glad you are. I kind of think because I. When I was 18, I, I mean, I, I've gone through times where I've just hit the wall, you know, and, and I, not many people know this, but when I was 18, I had a really huge drug addiction. Like I spent 18 months just completely fried off my brain. Loved every minute of it, but just completely fried off my brain. And, and, you know, now it's just a balancing act because I know that I'll always be an addict, but yet I need to take painkillers just to keep through the day. So it's a constant balancing act of keeping a level head. Right. Yeah. That's that's a pretty heavy thing to drop. I'm happy to cut that out, mate. No, okay. it's all good. All right. I'm well, an open book, man. Let's go to that. How did you How did you find your path out of that darkness? Rehab. Ah. Yeah, six weeks of rehab. That was cool. Yeah? Yeah. Rehab's, I mean, rehab's not fun because you go through the whole physical withdrawal. Mm-hmm. But um, after that, it's really a constant thing of just, why are you doing it? What's the issue in your life that 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 triggered it? And you just got to get real and 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 work out what that problem is and try and fix it. Because it's not the drug itself; it's 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 the label that you have. It's the reason behind why you took it in the first place. And I just took it to forget. Did you? Would you say that not only being born with a disability and and the scope of things, pretty intense disability. It was the fact that I was famous. It was the fact that I was 18 and I wasn't getting a girl. It was the fact that, you know, I didn't have a very good home life with my parents. Right. And it was so easy to just go to a doctor and go out and for them to write a script. Right. 
And I worked out if one doctor did that, then five doctors would do that. <laughs> so, I had a steady supply of, of prescription drugs just available to me. You don't have to go to the biker's house. You don't have to, you get the, the real deal. You get the I solid got, pharmaceuticals. I, got, I, I get the solid pharmaceuticals and, and another kid in a wheelchair who had the same addiction, he always said, know your dosage. Know your dosage. Never OD, just know your dosage. You know, always tread the fine line of getting fucked up, but not that fucked up. And it was constantly like, you know, Every four hours, measuring it out and making sure that I wasn't above, wasn't below. Just had that that right amount to just keep that nice, smooth edge going. But on the flip side, I became chronically paranoid. I couldn't get on a plane without freaking out. I couldn't talk to my folks without being, without freaking out. The only way I got away with it was making sure that that at dinner, I was completely straight. Right. Because if I knew I could get through dinner, you know, with a clear head, then mum and dad never know. Right. And But at it, what point was it like, oh, this has to stop for you? When my dad found me huddled under a table thinking that they were going to kill me. Ah. And I was completely in this psychotic paranoia. And they went, well, something's wrong with you, son. Off to hospital, you go. Right. Yeah. So now, because you're taking painkillers as a necessity. Yep. 662 broken bones doesn't tickle. Yeah, it doesn't tickle. A lot of scar tissue. Yeah. So now, what I do is I've, there's like a government thing where, where only one doctor will prescribe. Uh huh. Like, I could try and go to another doctor, but it'd be, you know, computer says no. Got it. So got it. Like a, a self-limiting thing. So and and if I and if I go through the prescription too early, sorry, son, you just you just maxed out your limit for this month. All right. You don't get no more. So it, it's stay on the right path. Don't use it to get messed up. Just use it to get through. Uh huh. And that's working out. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You seem great, man. You seem. Best I've seen you in ages right now. Feeling good. Yeah. It's lovely in here, here in Sydney. Beautiful summer's day outside. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Women are gorgeous here. Tell me about it. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Sydney crazy. CBD at lunchtime? Wow. It's, it's bananas, man. It's completely bananas. I love it. Thank you for talking about the pills and, and, yeah, yeah. and addiction. That's, that's some brave stuff, man. I'm really grateful for that. And I know a lot of people listening will relate. And will draw a lot of energy from the fact that you defeated it. Yeah, you got on the other side of it, and despite a bit of darkness on the other side, you've had a, you know, you, you had a life on the other side. Oh, but it wasn't just drugs. I mean, during, I mean, I went through a lot of booze as well, and I know you did too. Oh yeah, I don't drink anymore. No, I don't drink anymore either. <laughs> Those what was your moment when you knew you had to stop? Oh, dude, I knew. I, I knew I had to stop when I couldn't stop. That was it. Really? Yeah, when it was no longer a choice. I knew when no, I passed no, out in the street. Right. I was so drunk, I passed out in the middle of the, like, path on oh. Googie Street in Adelaide. And my friend was with me and he just slapped me awake and he just goes, 
time to go home. And I just went, you know what? It's not cool anymore. It's not. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah, my life now. Now, now I don't drink. Life's just so much better. I don't even like it anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I don't miss it. I miss it a bit. But if you take Coca Cola away from me, <laughs> oh. hands off my sugar. Hands off the sugar and caffeine, dude. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful connection. It's a beautiful connection. Let's talk about. Let's talk about what it is to be disabled in Australia. How have you seen it change? In your lifetime. I'm going to get into some controversial territory here, man. If you don't want to talk about it. No, 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 I will, but I know that a lot of disabled people um, don't think very highly of me. I'm kind of like the the anti-hero to them, or the anti-Christ, I don't know. Um, Many of them look down upon me. Why do you say that? Because they saw me as the poster child for disabled people in the early 80s and 90s. And it's that whole brave little Aussie battler moniker that somehow they think that they all get labelled with now. And um, and they think that I haven't used my my position as a person of notoriety to help the disabled community. You work in advocacy, right? Oh, look, mate, I've done so much, but it's very much... I don't put my name to it, you know, because I don't want... I don't want to be have people go, look at me, look how much money I've raised, or look at me, this is what I've done. I don't want to help people to be... to be known for it, you know? You help people because you want to help people, not because it people pat you on the back and say, well, good job. So, because I wanted to ask you about what your proudest moment of advocacy would have been, but if you don't want to share it, that's okay. It's really small. It's a real small thing. I used to mentor disabled artists, you know, and um, I had this group of about 10 or 12 artists and I had a girl who had an acquired brain injury. And she came in one day and she was screaming and yelling, you didn't do this for me, you didn't do that for me, you know, why aren't you here to help me, blah, 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 blah. And I sat her down and I said, well, I will help you if you want. And I will save you if you want. But... Would you rather me save you and help you, or would you rather step up to the plate and help yourself? Because I'm here to save you if you want, but I'm also here to guide you to help create what you want. And she got it. She got it. She realised that I wasn't just another person to do her bidding or to placate her because she was disabled. I was there to be real with her and just go, no one's going to give you a free shot in this world. You've got to go out and you've got to take it and you've got to stop hiding behind this disability and just get on with the, your life again. And that, 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 that to me is a really proud moment when she got it and she understood and she's now 
doing amazing things, you know. And I can say in my heart, yep, I, I had a little bit to do with that. Not much, but, you know, a little bit. It's a good feeling. Yeah. Was there someone, besides the person in the hospital that you talked about, was there someone when you were a kid that did that for you? Oh, my dad, but he was very, he was very real about everything. And he would have, he would do everything mysteriously. You know, like, um, like a month before my dad died, he rang me up and he said, Quentin, you've got to pay your brother's visa bill. Wait, what the fuck am I going to pay my brother's visa bill for? He fucking paid himself. Fuck off. And he said, no, 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 you don't get it. He said, your sister, she's the pretty one. We protected her. Your brother, he's the, he's the lifter. He's the, he's the, the brawn of the, the, the outfit, you know? But he's not, he doesn't handle emotional things really well. He said, ultimately you're the one that's gonna be the fixer. You know? So just do what I trained you to do and just fix it. And I understood what he meant. But, I mean, I still didn't pay the fucking bill. <laughs> but I understood that, that, that he was, he'd spent his life trying to tell me that you won't have the body to do things, but you'll have the brain and the voice to do it. And you'll be able to do anything based on those two gifts that he imparted. And you've done some amazing things, man. Yeah. You've done some... Well, we're getting deep today, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> anything you're not comfortable with, I'll, I'll cut out. No, you know, I just wanted to sit here and talk about how much you used to drool over Angelina Jolie when you interviewed her, but, you know, whatever. Of course, she's Angelina Jolie. If I'm not going to drool over Angelina Jolie, well, who else am I going to drool over? Yeah, good point. Yeah, dude, I'm sitting in a room. She's tiny. She's like Kylie. I know, I've met her. She's like Kylie tiny. Yeah, I know. She's like itty bitty, and Brad Pitt's a big man. You're like, wait, how did this work? That was weird. I know. She's so small. And all those children. She's everywhere. I know. Six, six kids, man. She's That's, gorgeous, though. She's Who's on your get out of jail free card? Anyone. I'm single. <laughs> okay, when you were married, who was... Um, it was... Who was the get-out-of-jail for? Uh, it was Uma Thurman. Really? Yeah. Pre-Kill Bill or post-Kill Bill? I don't care. Just... As Uma. it comes. Just Uma Thurman. Uma, uh, you know, just in the in the, in the coals with Tracky Dax, pushing a shopping cart, Uma. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, man. But something was somewhere between Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill. I was like, honey, uh, I, I love you. And if Uma Thurma ever asked, I'm going to have to say yes. Fair point. She had Clooney. Fair enough, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. I never got the cold Clooney thing. Uh, that's all right. I get it. I get it. Has a lot. I think it has a lot to do with the smile and the and the and the and the swagger. He's got a, he's got a few pounds on him these days. Swagger goes a long way. Swagger goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so just on the because I'm interested to know in within the disabled community, you spoke about it. Did the disabled community have 
a word like the African-American community have, that like the N-word that only they can say? Um, cripple. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Or handicapped. Ugh. Yeah. They're two words that we just hate. Right. Or midget. Oh, I fucking hate that word. I will open up a can of whip ass on anyone that calls me a midget. Or if anyone calls me mini-me, oh, they're a goner. Bad news. Hasselhoff called me mini-me once. I told him to fuck off. (laughs) He's a big man, too. Yeah. He's 6'3 or 6'4. Yeah, we were doing it like I was at Spargo's in L.A., you know, yeah, yeah, and um, it's a big, it's a fancy restaurant. It's a Beverly fancy Hills. restaurant, Beverly Hills. Fancy with a capital F. Yeah, and everyone was doing the media interviews, and they were going down the line and stuff. And I just um, interviewed Robert Forster, um, brilliant actor. He was talking about his hair plugs of all things. Go figure. And then Hasselhoff came up to me. He was, oh look, it's Mini Me. I just looked at him and I went, mate, keep going, going down the line, fuck off. <laughs> and he's looking at me and went, okay. <laughs> he's looking for freedom. Yeah. <laughs> great song, by the way. It's a great song. It's it's underrated as a, as a 90s pop song. The Germans loved it. Uh, they did. Now, you talked a bit about pain. So I want to ask you about pain. Yeah. Because you probably know more about pain than anyone I'll ever know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on pain? It's an old friend that comes by to visit. What I can only imagine, because most people experience pain like a, a stubbed toe once in a while. Yeah. Or accidentally slam a finger in a door once in a while. Or like me, like for example, when I first started riding bicycles a lot, I had a bike accident and I came off my bike. Yeah. And I was like, the first time since I was a kid yeah. that I'd fallen so hard and yeah. ripped my arms open and, and hit my back. And I just lay there going, what's that feeling? Ah! And it was so shocking to me. Yeah. And it really threw me. And all these chemicals are running through my body that hadn't been running through my body before. And Yeah. What's, what's your relationship like with pain? Right, I'll show you. Give me your hand. Right. Yeah, tell me when that hurts. Ah, so Quentin's pinching me really hard okay. with his fingernails, and right. he's not letting go. Okay, now, imagine if that was all the time. Do you reckon you'd get used to it? Um, You had to get used to it. I have to, I guess. Yeah, see, is it still hurting as much? No, it's not. Are, are you yeah. holding any less? No. Yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming kind of normal. There you go. Oh, I'm going to let go. So it just becomes like a background. Yeah. Good analogy, isn't it? It is a good analogy. God, I left a mark too. You did, man. I don't know if you're going to draw blood. We'll see if that bleeds. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. I'm pretty impressed. Well, imagine the finger prick, finger thing. Yeah. But 10 times that all over the body. And that's what I go through every day. But you just push it away. Yeah. You just stop thinking about it or you embrace it. Like a warm blanket. What happens when you embrace it? Just breathe through it and just try and focus on something else. Because it won't 
I mean, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but your heart still beats, you're, you're still breathing, yeah. your blood still flows around. You, it's not like your body's going to stop working. No. It's two nerves firing a signal at your brain, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Wow, man. Did you ever have to learn any techniques around that? Did anyone ever, you know, teach you breathing? Oh, I did meditation and I went through this whole time um, back in when I was a kid where everyone would say to me, hello, Quentin, have you found God? I bet if you found God, you could embrace him and he would heal you. Oh, God. American accents? No, but I'm just, you know. Okay. Trying to do the evangelist type of thing. Yeah, 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 I get it. You know. And it's great practice for when I have to go on set tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he would heal you. Let, let God open up into your heart. And so I went through this whole stage where I studied, you know, Christianity, Buddhism, Taoism, um, the Quran. I'd read bits on everything and, and kind of didn't relate to any of it. And it just found my own kind of in a spirituality. I don't know where the question was. The question was, with, who taught, did you ever learn how to, how to, the process, the mental process of, of focusing on something else and pushing the pain away? Did anyone ever tell you just to breathe? Yeah, my mum did. Yeah? My mum would sit there in the, in the emergency room and she'd say, think of yourself as a lily floating on the water. And the pain is everything underneath. And you're just floating above it. That's a good visualization. Yeah. Do you still use it? Yeah. That and morphine. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So, what have you learned? And I ask this with all respect. Yes. What have you learned about frustration? I still get it bad, but I don't get frustrated over big things anymore. I get frustrated over little things now. Like my, my, my support worker Ian will, will, I'll, I'll berate him insanely because, you know, we have a system and how I need to get up and it's one thing after the other. And if he gets one thing out of step, then, you know, skyrockets just go off in my head. But if somebody says to me, oh, you know, um, you've broken your ankle, and I'm just going, whatever. Yeah, I don't let the big things get to me, but the little things still just burn a hole in my head. And I'm trying not to let that happen. Because five seconds afterwards, I'll go, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. I didn't mean it. You know. And he knows that I mean it. It's just I don't have a way of, like, getting through that moment without completely losing it. Yeah. That and I don't get late enough. But, you know, that's another story. You and me both. Yeah. <laughs> Life's very different these days. So waiting for this to bleed. It's not going to. You've been told, I remember when you met me, you told me this, and we referred to it earlier, you've been told many times, look, you're not going to see 18, buddy, sorry, yeah. or you're not going to see 25. How does that affect your life when someone tells you you've only got so many years to live? Like, at what point did you 
Did you ever take it seriously? Did did you ever dismiss it? I used to dismiss it all the time. I had this. I had this whole. I had this whole thing of wanting to die at the age of twenty-seven because I knew that that was the celebrity death age. You know, and I just thought if I'm gonna go out, I want to go out like a fucking rock star. You know, I want to. I want to go out, Jim Morrison. Hendrix, Joplin, Cobain, 27's a day, baby, you know, I just wanted to get there and, and I thought if I dropped dead at 27, great, but I didn't, and so I spent the better part of 30, when I turned 30, I'd gotten through everyone in my bucket list, everything in my bucket list I'd gotten through, and... I reckon I spent the next five years just sitting there going, I don't know what else to do. I've just gotten... Because to me, money's not the most important thing in life. Time is. It's how you spend your time is the most valuable thing, valuable commodity, and who you spend your time with. That's the most valuable commodity to me because you never know when time is going to cut. And so I went through all the bucket lists. And I came up with crazy shit. You know, I wanted to sleep with a model. Yeah, I did that. I wanted to snog a film star. Did that. I wanted to go to the Oscar Awards. I did that. I wanted to get on the set of Star Wars. Well, I did that. I wanted to host my own TV show. I did that. You know, you up the game so much. And, and I, I just kept doing things. And I got to 30 and I thought, Oh, now what? Done everything. So it's now just been a process of coming up with a new bucket list. That's cool. So is the bucket list now different to what it was then? Yeah, it is. How so? Whoa. Like I'm seeing elephants and I'm appreciating elephants for just their magical beauty, you know? Or I was telling my mum, I said, you know, you know, mum, when I was six, I always wanted to be in a giant action movie. You never actually think it's going to happen. But damn it, tomorrow I'm going to be in a giant action movie and this is going to be cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just very surreal. My, My life has had a lot of, crap but the good things have just been completely insane and amazing how do you in it's almost as if we were talking about this earlier you know uh at work we were talking about um actually a girl i was with once who who didn't quite know if she was straight or not and she had Uh. she had girlfriends and she had boyfriends she just didn't know and it was really confusing for her and she was cruising down the byway highway. Uh, I don't think it was that. She just really, honestly, couldn't find happiness. In Poor girl. Well, and you know, I just kind of mentioned to this person I was talking to that you know, here's someone who's living in a world that's so distinctly this is normal for boys, this is normal for girls, this is what normal people do, this is how normal people spend their time, and she didn't fit in any of it. You know, Aristotle said that normality is a state of mind, and happiness is a state of attitude. Which answers my question, you would be 
it's almost like you're a visitor in this world, man. Because this world isn't built for you. This world's for no, be- no, 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 no. I don't see it that way because if I say it that way, then I created them in us attitude. Yeah. And that's what a lot of disabled people do. They say there's them and there's us. And I think that's the wrong way to be. Because as soon as you start segregating yourself, then you create differences. Whereas I just say, I'm no different to you. I'm no different to the gay guy or the black dude or the Muslim or whatever. We're all just humans trying to get through this world, man. And, you know, blood still pumps through the veins, just like everyone else. So in that respect, we're no different. We're all equal. And as soon as we start creating, you know, differences to each other, that's when the world gets fucked up. Did you always see it that way? No, I used to have a, a very arrogant, elitist attitude about myself. And this was before the hospital thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And after that? Kind of a real spiritual thing went through me, man. Yeah, it sounds like it. You're lucky. We're all just humans, man. Not a lot of people get that. Not a lot of people have that moment. I know, it's, it's the bald-headed monk look that I'm I think going so, but for, you I know. think when you have that moment, when you have that moment, it's like, oh, hang on, it's, it's all of us. And we're all on this piece of rock hanging in space together. And this person's my blood brother, but that person and that person and that person, they are just as, we're all here together. We're all in this one spaceship flying through the universe at 50,000 miles an hour. Exactly. And, and, and the thing is, we all have our own shit, man. We all have our own things going on. You know, my problems are, are, are different than yours, but they're no less important. You know, or the girl that's getting bullied on Facebook has her problems. They're no different to mine, you know, or whatever, you know, anorexia or whatever, or disease, cancer. We're all just humans trying to fight through our own shit, man. But for you, it, it seems that you... A lot of people don't have to face it every day like you have to. Yeah, they do. Yeah? Yeah, they do. It's just how they approach it. How they look at the world. Yeah. Yeah. My yoga teacher said that to us the other day. Where, like... We in the middle of the downward dog? I was in the middle of the pigeon. Ooh. Now, now the pigeon is... um, The pigeon involves... I I don't know. No, no, don't, don't. You don't want to demonstrate? No, no. Uh, I'll I'll describe it. It's as if you were in a push-up position. Yeah. All right? And then you bring your, so for example, your right knee yeah. up to between your... Um, Ladies take note, by the way. Huh? Ladies take note. Everybody. So you basically put your your foot and your knee across your body yep. on the mat, and then you lay down into it so your, so your foot ends up like this, but you're lying down, and, you, and it's, it's very intense, very intense through the hip flexor. Really? Oh, yeah, man. Like, I weep. You weep. I weep when I'm down there. Tears come out of my eyes when I'm down there. I'm feeling all the sinews and ligaments and stuff stretch. And we were down there, and she goes, "Don't forget, we don't see the world as we are. We don't. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are." I want to let it crap. I don't know. It really got to me, man. No, it's, it's what you're saying, though. It's what you're saying. Like if we choose to see the world 
as it is, it's it's way easier. If we see the choose, if the choose, if we if we see everything as difficult, it's our decision to see everything as difficult. If we choose to see everything as awesome, everything is it's our it's our choice to see everything is, as awesome. Life is not that complicated. Yeah, everyone says that it is, and it's not. It's not complicated at all. Break it down for me. In what way, like? You say it's not that complicated, so what... Okay, if I like a girl, I go up to her and I go, Hi, I like stuff. She says, Hi, I like the same stuff. We say, Oh, great, well, let's do the same stuff together and hopefully we'll be happily ever after. And that's it. And that's it. Or you just go, No, I don't like your stuff. Really? Yeah. Okay, fair call. See you later. No more, no less. No more, no less. Don't take it personal. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, you know, people, people get so wrapped up in themselves, man. And I do it too. I get wrapped up in myself. But, you know, people take things way too seriously. Let's talk about your work. Let's talk about the, the work you've done. You've done some cool, you've done some cool shit on, on TV. Um, as a TV presenter and a producer, you've made some, some great stuff. What's your, what are you most proud of? Um, oh, I did a little series about disabled artists for SBS. It's called My Voice. Yeah, I loved doing that, and I loved, I loved doing. I mean, even though I, it was hard, I did enjoy doing Idol. I mean, I didn't. There were certain personalities that I didn't like, um, but. There's a big soup, man. There's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of creative people. Creative people are, can be a bit wacky. It wasn't that. It was the. It was some of the talent I didn't get along with. Tell me about. Tell me about my voice. The it was on SBS, right? Yeah, it was just five disabled artists, and I just I looked for people that would not normally be on TV. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find the most different people you could. And just tell their story. And you're the you're the producer of that, and that's yeah. I'm not in it. I just was the producer and director. Which is, I mean, for folks that that don't know what that job is, it entails. It's a lot of hustle. It's a lot it's of hustle. A lot it's, of hustle. It's turning no's into yeses. It's making, yeah. uh, you know, something for five thousand dollars look like it's fifty thousand dollars. Exactly. It's turning shit into shinola. It is. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of you're work. You're on the phone from dusk till dawn. Yeah. And you're just making crying people happy and happy people Unhappy. focused and, yeah. you know, it's, and then you got to deliver the, you got to lock the edit and deliver the episode and just cross your fingers. I was very, like, as a kid, well, not as a kid as a younger guy, I was very complacent and people would say to me when I was doing Quentin Crashes, where's the script? And I'd go, it's okay. It's all in my head. Have no fear. It's all in my head. And I'd go out with a camera crew and I'd just go shoot shit, you know. And, you know, I had this saying with shit the shit out of it and fix it in the mix. And it used to frustrate the hell out of people and it used to frustrate the hell out of me because I'd come back to the edit suite. And I'd go, what the fuck am I doing? I've got all this stuff and I don't know what to do. 85 hours of footage. Yeah. And my voice was the first time where I actually wrote the entire script out and the entire shot list and I went, okay, here's what I want and this is what I'm going to get. And that was really good fun. 
He also made a, a great short film about the claw. The claw. The claw. A claw, not claw. The claw says he stays and who goes. The claw, uh, is it here in the room? No, I gave one to George Miller ah. yesterday, so. Quentin has a, um, for years, has a, uh, it's like a hand-operated grabbing claw, the kind of thing I used to get at the Brisbane Echo. Yeah. That grabs stuff. They're just toys. Yeah, but you use it to reach stuff. Yeah. And there was, he made a whole short film about, about the claw. And how, how I, it gave me a superpower to pick up chicks. Hot ones. Hot ones, yeah. In convertibles, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Yeah. And you, and claw two. Claw two was, this was, was the brainchild of, me getting out of hospital and just going, all right, I'm going to prove that I can still get this done and still do it. Because I'd walked away from all of it and I'd just been depressed and shitty with myself. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to write the script. I'm going to make it funny. And I'm going to be funny in it. And I'm going to have great funny people. And I'm just going to make it. And it was cool. The amount of people that believed in my idea and rallied around me and have you finished shooting yeah it's all done man it's in the can right i was gonna do something for you i know you're overseas i was always around i know man i was gonna do a skype thing for you i'm sorry that's okay i know how it works yeah i'll be i'll still talk about it i'll still thrilled for it i'm gonna put you in the claw three <laughs> did you get everybody you wanted in it um i tried to convince russell crowe to do a cameo but he went nah. He put the money into it, but yeah. Bless him. He's such a good bloke. Rusty is cool. He's such a good guy, man. Yeah. A like, lot of people bag him, but he's got the biggest heart. He's just the nicest man. Yeah. He's just a really generous, generous and he, guy. And you know what? He's another person that isn't afraid to kick my ass. <laughs> you know? Yeah, when Maximus tells you to pull your shit together, you're going to do oh, it. Oh, dude. <laughs> and just pray he doesn't put on the hando voice from Rumpelstopper. <laughs> he, um... I remember sending him this tweet or this message about, you know, I was having a bad day trying to raise the money or trying to do something. And he just sent me this message back saying, I'm in the middle of Turkey where kids are feeding through, looking through rubbish to find food. And I went, right. Puts it in perspective. (laughs) Thank you, Rusty. (laughs) And he wasn't afraid to just go, yeah. You think you've got problems? And I loved it. I thought that was great. I had to respect it. So through the creation of that, did you find uh, did you find what you were looking for with uh, you know your your motivation and the 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 path out of the darkness? Yeah, man, it's great. Because I, I I I enjoyed it again. Yeah, right. And for so long, I'd spent so many time writing bullshit TV proposals. I'd made so many you know, crappy TV commercials. What? You want more? Only fourteen ninety five. How much? Fourteen ninety five. You know, that those sort of T V commercials. I mean I would write them it'd take me five minutes to write and I'd charge the client five hundred bucks. It's stupid. And you just get burnt out. You just get burnt out. Your whole creative frame just goes out left of centre. And this was great because I just got the chance to tell a story with enthusiastic people. Yeah. It was beautiful, man. Where can people and see I, and I And I got to snog a chick again in the film. <laughs> where, where, where can people see Well, it's going to be in s- selected festivals next year. Excellent. 
and then it'll go online for the public. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So you have to go. So I, I, I still want to take your photo. So I just want to leave time that we do that. Yeah. But um, because you've got to go on set tomorrow. Well, no, I'm actually going to visit Russell Crowe on his set this afternoon. Give him my absolute best. I will. I'll, Such I'll, a good bloke. I'll tell Rusty that the G says hello. He's a good man. So you're going to go visit Russell this afternoon, and then tomorrow you're going to go... On set. George Miller. Can't yeah. believe they're making a fourth Mad Max film. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so I, nerdy I, about it. You know this. what? I wish I could tell you all about it. I know, it. I know, I know. I wish I could I tell you. I know there's a script in this room somewhere. There is a script in this room somewhere. <laughs> I won't look for it. Um, yeah, but it's really cool. Can you talk about... Can you quickly talk about the audition? Are you allowed to talk about that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's pretty funny. Absolutely. I... um. The casting agent, Nikki Barrett, suggested me to George two and a half years ago. And George was looking to replace um, the Master Blast character because they hadn't finalised the script and they didn't know whether the Master Blast would be a character in it. So the uh, the person who'd played Master had sadly passed away. So they were looking to replace him and Nikki suggested me and... and George said, well, you know, if he can fly up on his own dime and do a, a screen test for you, you know, we'll, we'll look at him. And so they sent me, like, this, this scene from When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> it was the scene where, where, where they make up at the end of the film at the New Year's Eve party. It's a great scene. It's yeah. such a great scene. Yeah, I think it's like, I love it when you when you when you take ages to order your food and you know things like that. That's what he's telling you. He finds, I love I love that you can't pronounce this. I love that you're the yeah, yeah, yeah. on New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love the fact that you're the first thing I think of when I wake up, and the last thing I think of when I go go to bed at night. You know, all that kind of stuff. So I did this scene, and they went, oh, "Okay, thanks very much." Great. But they they made you read when Harry met Sally because the script was so confidential. Yeah. They give you what's called sides, and sides are just yeah. You know they they're meant to um to show your emotional range yeah. And so they gave me the script, and so I did it, and and they just nodded and went, "Yep, that's okay. Don't call us. We'll call you." I came home. I was mortified. Going, ah, oh, stuffed it up. Oh no. Yeah. And then a month ago, um, someone had said that I'd. Mentioned that I'd done the core too. And so they'd, they were doing reshoots and they said, I would love Quentin to have a chat to George. And, um, and so George Miller rings me up and, um, and we talked about movies and, and, and Max and his career and my career and, there was no real definite offer. There was just like talking. And he says, oh, okay, well, um, I've got to go, Quentin, but, um, I'll call you Monday. And I went, uh, so you asking me to be in the movie, mate? And he said, oh, yes, that's a given. I'd, I'd, I'd already decided that 20 minutes ago. I just have, haven't worked out what you're going to do yet. <laughs> and so he's written me this amazing part. And I have dialogue, and I love it. 
he's an amazing guy. I got to chat with him when he made Happy Feet. Yeah. Which I loved. Yeah, it's brilliant. I loved Happy Feet Analog Mad Max 2 before Mel went bonkers. Oh, come on, man. I kind of think Mel's hugged the cactus enough, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, okay. I reckon, I reckon forgive him. Mad Max 2. You want to get out of here? You talk, talk to me. me. <laughs> greatest line. So, uh, last question. It's a heavy one, but I trust in it. Yes. You kind of answered it before, but yeah. I think it might be a good way to go out. When you look at when when you're being told all the time by doctors, and I love how I remember you told me once that a doctor came into the room to say, "I don't know how to tell you this, but um, you might not survive the night." And you went, "Listen, buddy, if you think you're the first person to tell me that, yeah, <laughs> sorry to burst your bubble, son." <laughs> when you're getting told you're going to die all the time, yeah, how does it make you look at life differently? I don't know, man. I mean, I've been told I'm going to die a lot, you know. Um, it depends what frame of mind you're in. If somebody tells you, you know, you're going to die and you're in a really depressed mode, you're just like, well, bring it on. Fuck it. I've done it all. See you later, world. Thanks for the fish. It was great seeing you. Um... But now I'm just like, I'm not ready to go yet. I've got, I've got too many things I want to do now. Or again. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess Seize the Day doesn't really cut it for you, does it? It's way beyond that, isn't it? It's not Seize the Day, it's Seize the Second. You know, Seize every second. You know, and just try and enjoy it. Really, honestly, because, you know, what else is there? And I, I just think that the that, that, that people can be nicer to each other and governments can make things less complicated for people. And it's that life, like I said, it's not that hard, man. Life is as complicated as you make it. And people make it way too complicated. You just gotta chill the fuck out. As Cosby, no, as Richard Pryor used to say, have a coke and a smile and shut the fuck up. I think that was Eddie Murphy. Talking about Richard Pryor. Doing Richard Pryor. Sorry, yes. Talking to Eddie Murphy about Cosby. Yes. At Q Kennahan on Twitter. You can find him there. Oh. Tweet him about the show. Thank you. Brother. It's yes. been awesome, oh, I'm so grateful we talked today. Sorry about your hand. Um, Is it bruising up? Might. You've definitely left a mark. Yeah, you left a mark. It's nice. a good one. Don't be sorry. It was a really good... I had not experienced that before. I'd not experienced the pain dissipating, even though you weren't not squeezing any less. Yeah. It was good. It's amazing how it does that. The, yeah. the brain receptors just kick in. Oh, nothing new here. Okay, I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take your photo, Quentin. Okay. I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. See you, Jake.